Welcome to Get Rich Without Being a Bitch. This is the place to hear real and raw conversations about what it takes for female entrepreneurs to achieve financial success and live a rich life. I'm Vanessa Shaw, author of The Million Dollar Question and your hostess for this podcast. Welcome to our latest episode of Get Rich Without Being a Bitch. And today I am delighted to welcome a very special guest, and a very special client of ours. Isabel Graham is based out here in Arizona and is the CEO and founder of a small law firm specializing in business law. And I think you're going to really be in, you know, in for a lot of insight today. Um, this is a, you know, a woman that is really kicking butt, professional services firm. Actually, we were talking about this before we got started. Uh, Isabel just reminded me that it was only three years ago that she was actually laid off. And that was kind of the impetus for needing to actually dive into selling, marketing her services and building her own law firm. So Isabel, hugely excited for our conversation today. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. It's so funny, you know, when you actually said about the laid off, I was like, oh my gosh, it feels like given the growth that you've gone through in the past year, in my mind, I'm just like, well, Isabel's been doing this for years, right? I'm like, she's been doing this for seven to 10 years. No, three years. And you know what is funny? I forgot to mention this too. I just had lunch yesterday with the CEO of the company. Uh, He was the last time I saw him, he handed me my severance papers and we met up for lunch and had this fantastic lunch yesterday. So... (laughs) It's just kind of a funny story. But. Yeah. So, so what were some of the things that you were telling him? You know, we've had a good relationship all this time because even though I was laid off and they no longer had that position with the company, we still work together and have been working together for years, very, very successfully. But what that meant is on the cusp of being laid off, I was licking my wounds and then going back to them with the proposal and they became my very first client. And I, the, really, the, the lunch was a thank you. Thank you to him because I'm so glad I got the push. Right. And isn't it it's so interesting sometimes how, you know, we're, we're wanting to make some changes and the universe is just going to kind of give us that shove, right? That gentle shove to say, you've probably been thinking about this for a while, but how about if I close a few doors behind you and now you actually have to actually go and do it? That absolutely happened. Yeah. Yeah. I was too comfortable. I was making a nice salary. I had been there for a long period of time, but the entrepreneurial voice was loud, very loud, but I was ignoring it because like I said, I was comfortable in what I was doing. So needed the push. You and I met two years later, right? This is the kind of timeline. We just, I think we we actually met and started working together actually October. So we're not even at a year, like 11 months. And um, I mean, listen, I knew you were up to great things when we first had our first call. And I was just like, I can't wait to get to work with her. You at the time, though, were definitely feeling a little bit kind of jaded and flat. Like what was what was the reason for seeking the help of business coaching back then? Well, there's a lot of exhilaration in starting the business at first, getting it off the ground and having that launch and learning how to bring clients. I mean, that is very, very exciting. And then what I realized, though, is the time that I met you is I had done that part successfully, but what next? You know, I felt like I had created a job for myself, a successful job, but a job nonetheless. And I really couldn't see a path forward. Where do I go from here? How do I get inspired again? Because I did already what I set out to do. And quite frankly, I could have stayed in that place 
indefinitely. I could have had a nice small solo practice for the rest of my life. And there was something very sad about that to me. It wasn't enough. I needed more. I knew I needed help figuring out what that was. Yeah. And so paint the picture of what the firm looked like a year ago, just that we've kind of got, you know, good markers for anybody listening. Like it was you solo. What did the practice look like? What were you doing monthly revenues? How many hours were you working? Well, I was the only technician in the business. So I was doing, you know, all the hours. I wasn't working a ridiculous number of hours just because as a lifestyle choice, I did not want to be working late into the evenings and on, on the the weekends as well. I have a family and young children, so that wasn't going to work. The firm was steady, you know, but it was really in that, what I would classify sort of a salary range in terms of what I was making. So if I was going to go work at a law firm, then that would have been similar in in terms of what I was bringing in salary versus the revenue that I was bringing in. And it was, so it was just me and I was doing everything. So I was doing the business development, which meant going out and letting people know that I existed and developing relationships and joining associations and trying to figure out how to grow. And a lot of trial and error. There was a lot of experimentation going on at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So there's something that you've talked about, which is success meltdown. (laughs) So in Isabel's world, what did that look like? What happened? For me, um, I think the most in most recent memory, it happened just a few months ago. I mean, certainly after I started working with you. So I would be setting goals for myself that really seemed kind of impossible. I know you'd declare them and put them out in the universe to you and to close friends and family, but you didn't really, really think they were going to happen. Or at least in my case, I didn't think they were going to happen for a long time. So when that timeline gets moved up, And, you know, you hit a milestone in revenue or a certain type of client that you've added to the roster. And it was so far out in the future in your mind and not particularly likely. And then it happens. I absolutely experienced what I called a success meltdown because it's just this clashing of reality and dreaming all coming together at once. And you didn't really think it could happen. And you have a moment of deer in headlights, like what is happening here? I have to think of myself and my business in a completely different way. And it's almost a little bit scary. Like I needed a good 24 hours to work through some of that because it just meant new things for me and my family. Yeah. I do remember at the time as well, I think I'm I'm pretty sure we were on calls together or at least Voxer or something. And you had had a series of sales and we've got you really focused on kind of building that pipeline getting you really into the business development role and you know with repackaged services we'll come back to that in a minute um, and then all of a sudden it was this panicky call of oh my gosh I think it's all drying up you know I've had a I've had a really good run and now there's been nothing oh yeah it's almost the flip side of the success meltdown there's the dry spell meltdown too and as a business owner you experience them in constant <laughs> alteration like the absolutely it still happens once in a while where there's a period where you don't hear from anyone you know whether that's a couple days or a week or a couple weeks and you have a complete and utter freak out but there is that voice in the back of your mind that says no 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 no. we've been through this before it's going to be okay and you talk yourself down and sure enough it starts off all back up again but 
feel it's, there's a lot at stake. You know, you're running your own business and it has to work. There's no salary to fall back on. You eat what you, you know, you bring home and eat what you kill. And there's just, um, there's a lot riding on that. Yeah, for sure. But I, again, I love, you know, seeing it throughout the year now, as you say, that mindset of in the early days, we can often think it's a fluke, right? Okay, I've, I've made some changes, I've done some sales, I've hit a higher month, and it can feel like a fluke. But the truth is, is once we start to do that several times, yes, it's never always going to be growing in the same direction, right? If, if business were only that easy, unfortunately, prospects don't always come back to us. Contracts don't always get signed in our timelines. But that's something I've probably seen with you over, again, a relatively short period of time, is just how your mindset and approach has become so much more grounded. I think believing that the success points are not a fluke has been such an important part of the growth of the business and my own, you know, maturation with the business. Really looking back on my own history, I have evidence of being successful. I can do this over and over and over again. I can bring in sales and just coming to terms with the fact that no, this was not a happy accident. It is not a fluke. It is repeatable and you will repeat it again and finding some peace with that is essential because it's only from there that you can do another level set and set the next goal and then the next thing becomes possible. Yeah, I love that. So, so true. And, and, and confidence, right? That you've got a system that you can follow. And as you say, it works. You do certain things and you can expect certain results. Let's just go back for a minute because I do remember there was a time, and again, this is back to the early stages of you actually setting goals. And again, I think this is a really, really important conversation and particularly for women because most of our listeners are going to be women. Um, but you had set some goals and I'm so grateful, Isabel, that you were actually really honest with me in one of our calls that the goals were set and then you revealed that you really didn't feel excited by them at all. Right. I didn't. I, I wasn't exhilarated by them. And do you remember the expression you used at the time? I guess, well, and you had reminded me of it recently. I'd forgotten. I think part of my mind didn't want to remember how I felt at that time. But I guess I told you I felt like dry toast, which is just, that's awful. But I did. I mean, I was going through the motions and things were fine, but I didn't have any of that. I, I had lost a little bit of the passion. I mean, I love being a business owner, but something had gotten lost at that point in time. Yeah. And I needed to, I think you really encouraged me to think about goals in a way that was more appealing and more sexy and luxurious. And that was just not a way I had thought about goals in the past. You know, I'm such a practical and sometimes black and white type of person that I can set a financial goal and then I can have personal goals associated with that that are also very practical, but I hadn't really dipped a toe into the luxury pool and I didn't know what that was about. And I was very suspicious of the whole, the whole idea, you know, being a responsible parent and where is the money going to go and how do I reward myself? And is that even appropriate? I think that was something I struggled with. Yeah, and thank you for sharing. So I think it is, I, I again, it was that moment where, I, you know, we were talking about your goals and I was like, you had no energy in them. And I say, fortunately, you you revealed to me, you said, listen, I'm going to be really truthful. I've written these goals, but these, you know, just I feel very flat about them. Honestly, I feel as dry as toast. <laughs> Always remember that moment. And in fact, what I asked you at the time was, okay, that's really honest. You know, you're feeling as dry as toast. How do you want to feel? 
And that was actually the piece there that actually started our conversation around something that felt, felt a bit more special, a bit more exciting, right? A bit more luxurious. And then I experienced Isabel's pushback. <laughs> yeah, I, I really wasn't comfortable with it at all. It didn't seem practical to me. And I thought, you know, as a family, we need to be thinking more about putting money away in a 401k and college and things like that. So that if I hit certain milestones, I really had a hard time imagining going out and, and rewarding myself personally with something that felt very special to me. Yeah. And we needed a sexier goal on the revenue front too. It wasn't just the personal goals that were dry. It was you know, we had a goal for the following year and that was too conservative. And then you suggested, I just go ahead and try to double it. And that got me very excited. So I think that was another part of goal setting that was really important. Yeah. No, I think it's again, so important, right. To start to see like, where's the energy going to be around it. And I do remember, you know, we were calling these sexy goals. It doesn't matter again. I mean, you know, there's no kind of system for it, but it's the, the energy right, that we really want to experience as a result of achieving the goals. Because, yeah. and you know, nobody, you know, we, we don't want to set goals for ourselves and kind of get to the end line, like, now I feel completely flat. But to really feel whatever it is, empowered, you know, sexy, luxurious, whatever those things might be, is a very personal question. And we've got to tap into that for ourselves. So I think sometimes we really don't know what those things are. If you haven't experienced them before or very much, you don't really know the feeling in the first place. You almost don't know what you're missing. Mm. Like I didn't really start to uh, embrace all of the luxury until frankly, I had started purchasing some things and experiencing those. I didn't know what I was missing. Yeah. But what was it? I'm just curious. Can you remember like, what was it that started to create the shift for you? Part of it was just holding myself accountable to you as my coach. I mean, we we talked about goals and what those things, what milestones might carry certain rewards, if you will, for me. And so I started writing those down. And I still at that point, I don't think I had too much excitement for them and, until I hit that goal and I was presented with my own plan that I'd already written down for what was going to happen at that point, at those milestones. And I knew I needed to, uh, you know, carry, carry forward with that and follow through and then go purchase the thing. Yeah. And so I did that, but it really was sort of a mechanical exercise at first because those muscles were so unworked. Mm. And I love what you said there about rewarding, right? Again, I think this is as women, we can often, again, we can provide for everybody else. We can, you know, typically put ourselves last. I've got a friend, by the way, I'm fortunate that, you know, one of her kids has called her out on it. She's, you know, really crushing some goals, but she'd shared with her, you know, one of her kids that, you know, she was going to mark it with a real treat for herself and then didn't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. And again, I think we can all relate to that. That's um, what I'm talking about. I still catch myself doing it. You know, yeah. I'll set a reward or a treat, as you say, and then I'll get there and I'll say, oh, no, 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 that's too much. I mean, that really happens. It's a conversation that happens frequently. Yeah. Or otherwise, you know, and I do get sometimes, right, that the sense of accomplishment, I mean, in of itself 
itself, accomplishing a goal can be so intrinsically rewarding. I get that. What, I, what we're talking about here, though, is where we can take ourselves out as women. You know, we don't, we kind of make a, a commitment to ourselves, right, that we're going to follow through on something. We do the work, we hit the goal, and now all of a sudden we, you know, start to play small when it comes to those rewards. Right. Fortunately, in your case, you didn't. So... <laughs> What was then, I'm curious, like the impact for you of actually following through in your particular case, I know that you bought yourself a pretty swanky purse. <laughs> I thought, you know, I've been buying a lot of things. I never thought that I would be doing this this year, but um, I did. My first goal, um, first reward that I had was a Louis Vuitton purse. I've never owned a designer handbag in my life. So I'm the type of person that, you know, would, would pick up a purse and then use it for eight years. It was probably all of $70. And so this was definitely an unusual purchase for me. And again, I just, I, I decided I was going to do it if I hit this particular revenue level. And so I did it and I picked up this purse and lo and behold, I mean, I loved how it felt to have this item. And at the time I thought, well, just buy it because you said you would. And if you hate it, take it back. You know, I really just gave myself permission to, if it wasn't this wonderful, you know, transformative experience, it's okay. You can return it. You don't have to keep it. But that was sort of the, the, the place I was coming from when I picked it up. But then I picked it up and I started using it and I felt a certain kind of way. And I didn't expect to feel that way. It made me feel, you know, very put together and classy. And it felt aligned with where I felt in my business, which was really nice. So it wasn't a reach. It was more affirming than anything else. Mm. It belonged. Yeah, it belonged. It's so, it's so important, right? Because again, anybody listening in, right? And you go, oh my gosh, a Louis Vuitton purse. How materialistic, right? Really, what's that got to do with business? And yet it's, it's, it's not about the purse, right? That, that's the message here for anybody. It's actually not about the purse, but it's about setting the goal. Right. And we've attached a reward to it that in your, you know, which was important to you. It could have been anything else, by the way. Um, but again, that purse becomes symbolic of the yes. growth. Yes. Right? That's the piece. And that's why it is so important. I mean, I actually get goosebumps because this is the kind of this is where I personally get excited because it's the, you know, the symbolism of that purse is about who you had to become to actually hit the goal that meant that you were rewarding yourself with it. Yes, absolutely symbolic, 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's a $1,500 purse. I could have spent $1,500 on something else and maybe it wouldn't have been, you know, materialistic, as you say. Um, so it's not even the amount of money, but it is the choice to spend that amount of money on that particular thing that I was in a position to do that. And yeah, it felt very affirming and aligned and exciting. And it started to bring back some of the fun that was really missing from that. You know, my description of myself as dry toast. I was missing some fun. I just needed to explore what was out there. Yeah. So what are some of the other things that you've done in that fun realm <laughs> as you've grown? Because I know you revealed there was a goal today that, you know, you'd set for three years. And right. Well, right around the same time I, I bought the purse, I also upgraded my vehicle so I had been driving a used Toyota minivan for many, many years. I, and I bought it used. So it had been around for quite a while. And it was 
you know, with little children, you have the goldfish crackers that are ground into the upholstery. And I got to a point where every time I got in that car, no matter how often I had it cleaned, it just did not make me feel good at all. And I was on my way to meetings and I just, it, it was not serving me whatsoever. And so took a big leap there and got a Mercedes. And that has been really fun to drive around. So um, that was another big purchase. And then I'm guessing, by the way, just as a side note here, I'm guessing that the kids aren't allowed to have goldfish crackers in the Mercedes. There is no food allowed. In no, this there car. is no food, right? Different standards. <laughs> there is no food. No, none whatsoever. So, yeah, that was really fun. And uh, again, you kind of wonder if you're going to get in the car and it's not going to have that transformative feeling that you hope to. Oh, no, it did. And when I drive to my meetings, I feel powerful. I really do. I feel like I've got my, my stuff together. And again, it was sort of that affirming experience. Like, no, you don't need to drive the beat up old minivan anymore. You can afford to do this. And it feels really good. And then very, very recently, I mean, we had, I had shared with you that we, you had asked us to write a three-year vision in our coaching group. And so I worked on that in January and I sent it was, a, it was a description of owning a home in Sedona, Arizona, which is very picturesque with gorgeous red rock views and um, azure skies. And just to me, it is the most peaceful place on earth. And I've been going up there ever since I moved to Arizona from Toronto, Canada. And I just love it up there. And we take our kids up at least twice a year, I would say. And the dream was in three years that we would own a home up there. And I had this very, very clear vision of sitting in the backyard uh, on a patio during the fall or the winter months with a plaid blanket wrapped around me and these delicate wind chimes and, you know, having a cup of coffee with my husband in the morning and just staring up at the red rock views. And then we have, you know, our little girls that would kind of come out and join us on the Adirondack chairs and kind of squeeze in for a cuddle. And it was this very specific vision that I had. And I thought, that's beautiful. Someday, you know, we will have that. That was January of this year. So that was six months ago. And just today, I, I sent you a, a message with a few pictures of the house that we have now moved into. We've uh, closed on it. We went up last weekend. We spent the whole weekend assembling furniture quite happily, either over coffee or wine, depending on what time of day it was. And then there's the backyard and it's looks up at the red rocks and we're going back up this weekend uh, for the long weekend. And it's really the stuff of dreams to me. Mm. I mean, complete bucket list type of stuff. And we, I pulled it in. Not only was it possible, but we pulled it in <clears throat> so much sooner than I thought would ever happen. And it yeah, really is. It's so inspiring. And I want to get to dig into the kind of how, right? Because anybody listening to this is going to kind of like, how did she do this? Like, what were some of the key steps? Because the reality is here, you have, you know, probably, I think we said you were around 15,000 monthly revenue when we started to work together about 11 months ago, right? So just so that people have got context, you've hit now a couple of times $50,000 months. Yeah, 50 plus. 50 plus. Mm -hmm. And we're not even at a year, right? Again, and I think it's really important for people to know that because again, sometimes we just think the timeline has got to take so long, right? And we're like, oh, it's going to take me 
15,000 to get to there, that's going to be a three to five year vision. Well, you're achieving it at this point in time under a year. Now, there were a couple, though, of key steps that I think you took, which were kind of mindset wise and then strategically as well that have really helped. So that's what I want to dig into. Yeah, is really helpful for other business owners. And by the way, I'm always I'm a how girl. I'm like, yeah, I love all this stuff. And it's like, how? Give me some like practical things. Yeah. One of the first shifts that you made was around giving yourself a promotion. Yes. But what did that like from Isabel's perspective inside the business? Like practically, what did that look like? So I had always thought if you started a business, you were automatically a CEO. <clears throat> that was a given. But I have come to learn that that is definitely not true. You know, if you are the only technician in the business or you're doing a lot of the technical work, you're really not functioning as the CEO. In my mind and in my world, um, that specifically means that I'm not doing the, the fulfillment on legal work. So I'm not doing most of the work on actual contracts. I'm not sitting down to my computer. Um, I am doing CEO type of activities, which in my mind are business development, sales, and marketing, and also being very strategic, thinking about how the business is going to grow and how that's going to be accomplished. So a huge part of giving myself that promotion to truly being CEO was to hire, was to hire somebody and hire somebody that could do the work that I was doing, not in a junior way, but where I could really throw it over the fence and they would be able to deliver and that would free me up to do sales. And then that had a direct and almost immediate correlation with revenue levels. Yeah. And again, I remember at the time, like some of the conversations that you and I had around then, like me, business coach hat on, you clients, it's like, okay, I know full well, this is one of the shifts again and admitting. And I think that's even the first step. And by the way, we have this a lot with the women business owners that we work with that they no longer want to be doing all the work. That's the, but we have to admit that first. And especially sometimes I think for professional services, it can be tough, right? You have a late, you have a, an identity that's um, caught up in being an attorney, right? Oh, absolutely. Right? You're a professional, you're an attorney. You've gone to law school for that. And now all of a sudden here you are actually saying, I don't really want to be a practicing attorney particularly anymore. I actually want to be the one that's bringing the business in and I, I want to be the business owner. Yeah. Right. Making that shift. I think even introducing myself has been a big, a a big part of that. So when people ask me what I do, I I said I was an attorney for years. I'm a business attorney. I'm an attorney. I'm an attorney. You're right. It's so caught up in your DNA. If you've gone to law school and you have a law degree and you're practicing, you are a lawyer. But that wasn't really true anymore. There became a point, especially this year, where it just didn't feel true. So now I say I own a business law firm. And that's been a big, I think that's one of the mindset shifts for sure, because you really need to give yourself permission to stop being the technician in the business. And I think you're right. It's particularly hard if you are in professional services, you're the CPA, you're the lawyer, you built up a reputation, you've been delivering the work, you've, you know, you want to make sure service levels continue to be met. So it's super, super scary to, you know, share the work and trust that, the work is going to be done well. Yeah, for sure. And again, these aren't easy shifts. Again, we talk about the mindset there. It's like, okay, I'm going to move away from being, you know, in your language technician, but the one doing it all to the one overseeing it and kind of bringing in the work, right? Next thing that you said there, which is again, very important is 
you weren't looking to just hire a junior, right? No. And I think, again, the women need to hear this message because this is something else. Um, and I know I made those mistakes in the early days of making the wrong hire, making the hire for where I was rather than where I wanted to be headed. Um, I think, Isabel, you know, you are, you are a strategist. I've said this to you the whole time. You've got a very strategic brain in terms of like thinking about where you want to be and then reverse engineering it. And that was such a smart move because you weren't actually hiring with the mindset of, well, today this is what I can afford. The hire, we sat down and we mapped out numbers and you like to do spreadsheets as well, which is really kind of handy. Um, but it was looking at, okay, you know, can I afford to take somebody on kind of in the next 90 days and get them ramped up? And also, what am I going to be doing when somebody else is, is doing that legal work? You know, how am I going to be spending my time? Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, it, you know, you're, you build up this little business and the idea of parting with some of that revenue is like, you're, you're really taking a chance. But I decided to bet on myself and believe that my time was better spent doing business development than working on contracts. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I decided to hire somebody that was senior so that I, you know, clients were going to be taken care of. That was really important. And I did, I did not want to spend a lot of time training. I wanted to see if I could find somebody uh, that was really in alignment with me on the approach that we take with clients and customer service. And that was open to the way I run my practice, which is on a flat fee basis exclusively, which is a little different from normal attorney operations with retainers and billable hours. So somebody who was willing to embrace all of that and really deliver five-star VIP level service to clients. And that means responsiveness and turnaround time. And luckily I found that person. Yeah. And they were delighted to, you know, again, delighted to be a part of it, right? They're, they're looking for that consistency in their own cash flow. They've bought into what you're building. And again, it's so insure, you know, reassuring because one of the stories that I hear the whole time is I'll never be able to, you know, I won't be able to find somebody that can do it at the level I can do it at. Well, no, what if you could find somebody that can actually do it better than you? Well, and that's where we are now, to be totally frank. I mean, we've been working together for quite a long time. And what I've come to realize is he's a better technician than I am. I really believe that. I mean, I think I'm a damn good lawyer, but um, I am also really good at business development. And he is, I think, a better subject matter expert. So I think our clients win in the long run because they get all the the business mind and the strategy with me. And then he is excellent at what he does. I don't want to be the best attorney in the room. That is not my goal. So I think finding somebody who's as good as you are and then even better, I mean, that is a, that's just a windfall. Totally. So you are now three in the firm today. So 11 months later, you've made yeah. enough hire as well. Yes. And so we have another attorney that is also a senior attorney that works on an overflow basis to provide support, additional okay. support. Yeah. Yeah. And I know as, as we started the call, you were like, I think I might need to hire some more help again soon. So yeah. again, yeah. like message here is, you know, hiring help is a, that is going to be the way to grow in those revenues, but also Isabel coming back to what you said in the first place, like you don't want to be working all the hours that God sends. You didn't want to be working around the clock. You didn't want to be putting in the weekends, right? You wanted to have your dream home up in Sedona and have right. time 
right? Have time with your husband and kids and like be enjoying the other side of life. Yeah. That's where so many of us can get ourselves trapped is we get fearful of hiring, which means we're still back into doing everything. And then we just start to get burnt out and burnt out, by the way, given that we get rich without being a bitch on the podcast, I think being burnt out is the, is the terrain for getting bitchy right? and resentful. Yeah. I got burnt out when I was overwhelmed with the amount of technical hours that I was putting into the business. It can be exhausting, especially if you, you know, that's not how you want to spend your time. My ideal day and how I love spending my days is to take phone calls, you know, call sales calls, talk potential clients through what they need and give them some reassurance that we're going to be able to help them. Um, think about marketing, maybe write a newsletter, go out and meet either a client or a uh, referral partner for lunch or for coffee, actually take them for lunch or for coffee and do client care and check in with people and ensure that, you know, deadlines are, are being met and things like that. Quality control. Uh, that's how I like to spend my time. And you are. And I am. Yeah. And you are. So the other strategy I want to come back to is so team, right? Building team, but again, hiring for where you were headed, not for where you were at that point in time, like very strategically was definitely, as you say, a, a, a really win-win move. Um, the next thing was about restructuring your services and deciding that competing on price as a law firm was not the game that you were going to be playing. So what, tell us a little bit more about, you know, what that started to look like. And again, mind shift, how you started to get your head around that. And then some of the practical steps that you actually took. Yeah. When I first started my practice three years ago, I said yes to everything. And I also tried to, you know, beat out other firms on price. And I could do that because I was operating in a very lean manner. So I had no overhead. It was just me. I had loads of experience. I'd been practicing for some, I don't know, 17 years. Um, and so I could beat them on price. And so often that's how I got some of my first clients. And there's no shame in that. I was building a business and I did need to say yes to everybody. But there came a point where that ceased to be the strategy in terms of bringing on new clients. And so now more than ever, we say no, and I definitely don't compete on price. And I'm very open about that with clients because I've become so clear on what the value proposition is with the firm, more clear than I, I ever could have imagined being. I used to say, it's a business law firm. I'm a generalist. We do all the things, real estate, business sales and acquisitions. That's become so succinct now when I describe our services to people and the value proposition is that they're going to have that, that VIP type of experience. You're going to have a corporate counsel representing you for the duration of this particular transaction or maybe on a long-term basis. But that is a different value proposition from another law firm that's going to charge you by the hour. And it's, you know, we're right for a certain type of client, a client who wants to have a partner and who wants to maybe have an extension of their executive team. Um, and so that helps us qualify clients and clients are willing to pay for that experience and that service. That's what I'm marketing. Yeah. And the other side of that, as you say, I love that you've, you know, really flipped it around to be, you know, moving from transactional and you say hourly rates and the retainers, which is very classic in the, in the world of law firms to this, you know, very clear value proposition, VIP, far more relational 
kind yes. of part, it's like really partnering, right? You've often said you're an extent, you know, you're an extension of their team. But on the other side of it, it also means that your clients are so much happier because there's no surprises when it comes to their budget around fees. No, it takes all the friction away. So that's been really beneficial. It's good for the client. It's good for us from an accounting perspective. It's so streamlined. From the client perspective, there's no obstacle to picking up the phone and asking a question because you're not going to get charged for that. You know, if you already have a relationship with us, you can just pick up the phone and get your questions answered. And that's a, the kind of relationship I want to have with clients. That is very... Um, very much in sync with the way I look at building a business, having a relationship. So it's a reflection of that. It's very natural for us to uh, present the value proposition and to build that way, because that's truly what we believe. That's the firm philosophy. So it's easy. Yeah. So again, I love that, you know, again, that very clear value proposition, you know, really spent time dialing in, then, you know, distinguishing yourself on this flat fee with kind of like a VIP type service has been key, right? And then in terms of, you know, then I think the third part that you've talked about that's been really instrumental is like investing in your business. What have you, you know, what are some of the things that you did to actually invest in the growth of your business? The first thing I did was hire you. <laughs> that was the first time I'd invested in the business, really. And that has been hugely pivotal because of the mindset changes in particular and setting goals beyond what I thought were possible. And then lo and behold, those goals come to fruition. So that was a key investment for sure is having a coach and then investing in a team and being willing to part with your hard earned revenue dollars to invest in people so that you can be freed up to do the CEO activities. That's another investment. And then uh, we're looking at doing sort of an IT related investment as far as CRM goes and really systematizing because as we get busier and the practice grows and the number of clients grow, it, you know, I can't be working off of Excel spreadsheets forever. So, so you know, we have to up-level. You might be making them, right? It comes yeah. So up-leveling in that area, again, building systems, I think is huge. So that's where my focus is right now. And I have time to do that because I have the support on the technical side. And again, let's just go back to even that question of investing. I mean, I'm somebody, obviously, as a business coach, I've really walked my talk in terms of investing in myself and my business, right? I wouldn't have been able to build this otherwise. Again, when we've got the results and we look back and we said, well, I invested in my business, that can seem really easy. Well, yeah, you kind of made an investment and now you've got X amount of ROI. But what was going through your mind at the time of, you know, make it, let's say you've never worked with a business coach before and all of a sudden here you are making a commitment. What were some of the, you know, what were some of the mindsets that were going through your minds that made that possible? And frankly, what were some of the fears and concerns? You know, it's funny. I, I knew I needed a coach. I was, I was very, very clear on that. When I got to that point in my business and I couldn't see a path forward without just continuing to work more hours, I knew I had a scaling problem that I needed to solve. And I didn't necessarily want to work with uh, somebody who coached only law firms because I didn't see myself that way. I don't identify just as a lawyer and just as a law firm. I wanted to get some help from someone who worked with services 
businesses. So I, I, I asked around, but I knew what I wanted. I really, really did. And then I heard your accent and then that was really it for me. <laughs> so I was ready to give you all my money at that point, but I knew I needed it. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I had never participated in coaching before group or individual, but I knew I needed it. I had a blind spot of what it was going to look like, but I didn't really have any objections to be honest. I thought you know, frankly, if it costs a little bit of money, that made me feel more secure that I was going to get something out of it. And I knew it was going to, it was my work to be done, but I wanted the investment to be substantial because I wanted a substantial change. Mm, interesting, isn't it? And again, sometimes, you know, actually you reminded me when I made one of my first investments in myself and my business, and I was living back in Switzerland at the time. And back then, my I don't know what my business would would have even been doing. Probably around, probably around similar, probably to you, 120, 140, something like that. And I made an investment to work with a coach here in Arizona. She was based in Tucson, which meant not only was I, you know, kind of writing this big check, and I think it was about fifteen thousand back then. I was also commissioned Isabel to fly into the states to work with her three times a year from Switzerland. And I actually do remember, it was exhilarating. You know, I was ready. I knew I needed help. I was very similar to you and just like my business model had got me so far. Yeah. And I, you know, I would have said I was as flat as a pancake, not as dry as toast, but honestly, that's kind of where I was. And it was like, I couldn't see how to get to that next level. And for me, that writing that check, making that commitment, yes, it was scary, yeah. uh, but I know for well, it made me step up massively. And the first time I got on a plane, you know, from Switzerland via London to Phoenix, and then getting in a car from Phoenix to Tucson, I mean, that's a lot to go and spend a few days, you know, right. working with your coach and to do that several times a year. But like, I swear, I stepped off that plane and I was probably three inches taller. Mm -hmm. Yeah, know? I think you're right. I think part of it is the accountability and the expectation for yourself that you're going to step up to meet whatever is required of you for the process. And if you're investing in it, then yeah, you're going to make it worthwhile and you're going to participate <laughs> and you're going to do the exercises and you're going to show up. And I was there to do that. Yeah. And I do want to say as well that, you know, again, you are somebody, you, you're a delight to work with. You do the work, right? That, I mean, again, the other strategy, kind of a really simple strategy for anybody listening is you've really got to do the work. You know, when you when we sit down and look at repackaging services or getting clear on a value proposition or digging into a piece of mindset, right, we can't just think about it. We've actually got to do it. And I think that's that's one of your key strengths is your your ability to execute and you do it rapidly right you do well and then but then that turns into rapid results and that's when it becomes so exciting that's when the three-year vision becomes a six-monther yeah. you know that's that's when I think incredible things happen and being accountable to someone or a group of people I think is can be very instrumental with that yeah and being again you're in a group of peers as well right again they're all up leveling different types of businesses that we work with um, but again, I think just seeing that success around you, which was, by the way, my first experience when I joined in as a much larger coaching program, 
But all of a sudden I was seeing other people that were successful. I was seeing people declaring their goals. I was, you know, walking to a room and hearing that person that the equivalent of whatever it was, the new car, the purse, the vacation, whatever it was. And it was sort of that, I want that for me, you know. You know, I think another part of it was that I was, I was lonely for that type of community. I think that's another reason why I was so willing to start that process of working with you. It's a, such an isolating experience to run your own business. And if you're solo and you're working from home or in an office and you're not really seeing very many people, it can be a very lonely life. Like I needed some community and I don't have a lot of female business owner friends. So this was also a way to solve for the loneliness, I think. Yeah, yeah. And again, thank you for being honest around that because that can be a tough one to admit. But yes, I do agree with you. Um, we're in those early days, we're doing everything. And as you say, we typically don't have that many people that we can have those types of conversations with and bounce great ideas off and get really great feedback. So, so exciting. Are you up for a set of quick fire seven questions? Oh, sure. <laughs> Fun stuff. Because this is kind of like, like, I just, you know, you're completely unprepared. So I just love to see. Oh, love you to know, see. I love to be unprepared. I know. Like I'm moving Absolutely. you outside of your comfort zone. But I call these our, our quick seven. Because it's just, it's, it's, and thank you for sharing everything that you have shared today, Isabel. Because as I say, yours is a super inspiring and practical story. You know, you haven't been without those challenges. You haven't been without the meltdowns. Um, you know, at one point as well, I think we didn't, you know, mid pandemic, you actually had to take over being the breadwinner as well for your family. We didn't even like that. That was one of those. Oh, my gosh. You know, I said I was I said I was stepping up here. This this is what I signed up for. And yet you've done it all, you know, so great, you know, really gracefully. And I love seeing the results now. So fill in the blank. Living richly means. Ah, living with an intention that you've given some thought to. I mean, I think really it has to do with envisioning what a beautiful life is and then going after those things specifically and holding yourself accountable to them. Mm. Best $100 you've spent recently and why? Oh, going out to dinner with my husband, date night, all day long. I'd spend all the dollars on that. Oh, (laughs) no hesitation on that. Date night, date night. Date night, date night. We should all do more of those. A book or podcast that's been highly influential for you? Oh, I listen to Brooke Castillo all the time. She really got me started on my um, business coaching journey, I think. And so I would highly recommend anybody listen to Brooke Castillo for sure. She's got, I couldn't agree more. She's got fantastic stuff. So you're feeling the calling to your next level of leadership and you're scared. What's the next thing you do? Well, I'm right there right now. (laughs) trying to actively figure that out. What do I do? Um, I build a team. I build a team. If, this, if it's about leadership, I'm building a team. Great. Something you wish you were better at today. Something I wish I was better at. Hmm. 
maybe some kind of a sport. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. I was gonna I was gonna be flippant there and say answering Vanessa's silly questions quickly. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, sorry, that wasn't very quick fire of me. I I wanted to give you something really uh, special there, but no, I think it would be probably a sport of some kind. Being really good at that would be nice. That could be cool, right? And uh, what's on your bucket list? I mean, A, because you have been like checking them off rapidly. Something on your bucket list now that you would love to achieve within the next three years? Oh, I've already been thinking about that, Vanessa. So um, yeah, an additional business, which is around real estate. You know, we've just purchased this property in Sedona. I am really intrigued by the idea of taking properties from investment to income properties and then adding additional real estate in Mexico and eventually Paris and sort of a lifestyle company. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good juicy vision. I didn't even tell you about that plan. This is is why I like it when we're unprepared. I get to learn these things on the fly as well. And then last but not least, what's something or somebody that you're deeply grateful for today? Oh, deeply grateful for. I have so many people I'm deeply grateful for, but I'd have to say my husband, he is so supportive. He's like, spend all the money on the, you know, invest in the business. He is just the most wonderful partner. And I'm super, super grateful for him. Mm, you're going to have to tell him to listen to this podcast. I will tell him. He's, he's desperate to listen to it anyway. So he's, he's been given a shout out a couple of yeah. times there. And, you know, it is, it's a wonderful thing, as I say, when you're also, you know, committed to this lifestyle and the business and the growth as a family. Because at the end of the day, let's face it, you were doing it always for your kids, your husband, the fa- you know, the family life that you want to have together. And yes, that's what an amazing gift that he's been such an, you know, incredible support on the journey as well. Yes, he has. Yeah. Isabel, this has been wonderful. It's always so good to connect with you. We're going to make sure that we get as well your bio, details of your website in the show notes. If you're inspired by Isabel's story today, you know, definitely reach out and connect with her. And uh, I look forward to seeing you very, very soon. Isabel will be talking. Okay. Thank you so much. (laughs) Appreciate it. Thanks. Take care now.